This is the XC Podcast. My name is Michael Doyle, and I am joined for this very special late Friday evening recording by Alex Sear. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm very excited to chat. Yeah, excited, uh, but also with heavy hearts. And the reason why we're doing this podcast is to preview... Uh, the upcoming London Marathon that's coming on Sunday. So we're recording this Friday night. And it's a good thing, Alex, that we held off until Friday evening to record this for obvious reasons we're going to get into in one second. Mm. But we're recording this on Friday night. I'm going to push it out uh, a Saturday morning uh, for your previewing pleasure. And then obviously there's going to be the big race on Sunday morning in London, England, uh, which we will be doing something special for as well. Uh, And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But obviously, the the tweet that uh, that rocked the distance running world this morning, Alex, you forwarded it to me, and I believe your your uh, your text message was something along the lines of what was it like, what the fuck, or whoa, or holy shit, oh. or I'm not sure exactly what your uh, expletive or or exclamation was, but basically, the bottom line is. Kenanisa Bekele is out of the race. Uh, if you are listening to our podcast and care about distance running at all, you already know this, so this is not a surprise to you. But if for some reason you've been uh, living under a rock and not looking at your phone for the last several hours, uh, two big things today. Uh, Kenanisa Bekele is not racing the London Marathon because he's got a blown calf and Donald Trump has got COVID-19. So we're not going to get into that one, that's for sure. Um <laughs> We only have all night. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that on Sunday as we're watching the London Marathon uh, and trying to fill some time, but or not. Uh, this was billed, Alex, to be the greatest marathon duel of all time. It it certainly had the, uh, had the talent level for it. Uh, I guess the question is now with Kennedy Bekele out, does that mean that We've lost uh, the sizzle for this race. We certainly lost the sizzle that was advertised. And I think we just were feeling the same sadness as Bikili himself. It was a rough interview to listen to. He was um, on the mic for, for a couple minutes today. I think we're going to play it here. Yeah, we've got a little clip here. We can play his announcement, which uh, the London Marathon pushed out at 11 a.m. Eastern time on the nose this morning. I have uh, bad news. Uh, I will not race on Sunday because uh, I've tried uh, my best to solve it. I had uh, two weeks ago uh, some minor uh, injuries. We had uh, really good training and uh, more or less in the end of the uh, uh, two weeks, uh, I really pushed a little bit uh, hard uh, training and uh, I had uh, some uh, feeling, uh, the calf miss feeling, you know, my left calf a little bit, uh, just I feel like uh, overtrained and uh, and after my... Yeah, so he... he he's he's messed up his left calf apparently and uh and my understanding is is that you know he came into london entered the 
the bios the biosphere, which we'll talk about in a little bit more detail as we break down the logistics of this crazy race. Been in London for about a week or so. Um, obviously, the tests were coming back negative for COVID because that was the big concern. But it sounds like he ran a couple of hard workouts pretty much back to back without enough rest recently and tweaked his calf muscle, probably a strain or a light tear or something along those lines. And, um, you know, I, we've all, we've all been there before. If you race, you know, it's, you're always up against the, the, the bleeding edge of, uh, what your body can handle, especially coming up into race day. And if you have a little tweak, you hope by, you know, what, two days beforehand, maybe he hasn't been running all week, but Hope that magically it's recovered, a little bit of treatment, and then you go out for a shakeout jog on on Friday, and you hope that everything feels normal, and it doesn't. And so now Bekele is out, and it's yeah. Elliot Kipchoge's race. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad thing, and you can hear it in his voice. You know, the, the at one point he says, "You know, I thought it would be better, and then I tried, and it was worse." So. It looks like it was something that he was nursing for a while. And I mean, come on, Bikili's not he's not hiding under a rock. He was hearing all that hype. And see, this is a guy who, like, this is the difference between the two of them. Kipchoge's been in the limelight, whether he likes it or not. Bikili in the last four years has one good marathon to his credit. And it's a very good one, right? It's it's uh, Berlin of last year. And he ran 240, 201-41 and just missed the world record. But a lot of the talk around Bikili has been hypothetical. And I know these guys are great mentally, but after a while, you got to get sick of it. So I'm, I'm sure that in the last few weeks, he knew that he was injured, but he was just hoping, hoping, hoping that he would show up there and, and the body would have healed itself. But, you know, even for the best of us, this is the way it goes with sports and running. And it's a sad thing. Turns out, um, turns out Kenanisa Bekele is indeed a mere mortal. Uh, however, mm. Elliot Kipchoge remains a god, uh, at least for now. Uh, do you, we'll, we'll get into to Kipchoge's situation and how this affects him positively, negatively, maybe not at all because he operates on a different plane of existence than the rest of us. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's, let's look a little bit further at this uh, Bekele scratch. Um, the race is slated for Sunday morning. He was, uh, the men's race goes off at 10, 15 a.m. Um, London time. So that's quite early uh, for us in North America. That's uh, what time I'm doing the math here. That's 5, 15 a.m. Eastern time. And the women's race obviously goes before that, a couple hours before that. So the men's and the women's races are discrete races, which I think is great. Uh, makes for a very early morning for those of us um distance running junkies who want to watch the women's race first. That's going to be like a 2.15 a.m. wake up time for you and I, Alex. Or it's a late night. <laughs> or <laughs> or the other way around. You just push on through. <laughs> uh, so Bekele is out. He's 38 years old. He, I mean, he looked like he was at the peak of his powers uh, when he ran in, in Berlin last year and came oh so close to the world record which remains 201.39, and that's Elliot Kipchoge's record. So the the thinking was going into London was, okay, first of all, we'll, we'll backtrack. Pre-COVID, the thinking was going into London this spring, we were going to get 
Bekele v. Kipchoge, greatest race of all time. The two goats at the peak of their powers, each has this like extraordinary resume, and they were just going to throw it down, and we were going to see potentially a world record, potentially a sub two hour marathon on a legit course. It was going to be, it was going to be fireworks. It was going to be totally, totally nuts. Uh, then obviously the pandemic hits, London pushes to the fall. Then they scrap the big race with the. 40,000 people running behind them, but they hold on to this elite race and they come up with a really cool idea, uh, which I actually thought was going to completely captivate the sports world because at least at the time when they were programming this, there wasn't a whole lot else going on. There was, you know, the NBA was still sort of trying to figure out its playoff bubble. Uh, Baseball in North America hadn't started. American football hadn't started. Uh, So there was... This moment where it looked like, oh, the marathon is going to get a ton of attention. They set up this race that was going to, it is going to happen in Saint, around St. James Park in London, a very central location. If you know London a little bit, or even if you don't know London, you do know, you have a sense of like the Buckingham, Pal- Buckingham Palace and the mall. Uh, and it, it basically tours all around there. Two-ish K, uh, two-ish K loop. They're going to do it nearly 20 times. I think 19.6 times uh, is mm-hmm. the the plan for it. And in theory, it should have produced this breaking two-esque type environment for Bekele and Kipchoge. Uh, now, of course, it's just going to be Kipchoge and uh, a group of contenders who we'll talk about in a minute as well. But it's, I think, Alex, I think this is a a massive, devastating uh, loss for for not only for obviously Bekele and for the London Marathon, but it's a huge loss for the sport. I think. What, I mean, I think, I think so too. I mean, it's it's kind of just our bad luck that on the men's side, perhaps the two best marathoners in history are pushing forty, or or perhaps are over forty in Kipchoge's case, where we we still don't know. But you know what we can hope is that it doesn't squash that opportunity but just pushes it a few months um that's a that's a tough thing to hope for i mean the spring coming up we don't know what it's going to look like we don't know when this next opportunity is going to be um but one thing that i hope you know in being an optimist is what if this sets the stage for an amazing olympic final because we know that kipchoge is going to run the olympics he's so consistent he's a defending champion he's not going to let it up but Obviously, the limiting factor here is Bikili. Will he get back to health? Will he be fit? The tricky thing between the rivalry between those two is Bikili has to be on. Kipchoge's always on, but Bikili has to be on. And I think all these months of preparation, at least in the media, led us to think that this is Bikili's swan song. This is him coming in. This is him showing all his cards in the marathon. He's just a year removed from a 201. So... Could we see? Could could these two guys be there in the Olympics next year? Absolutely, but could Bikili actually get to a race healthy? That's what we don't know. I hope so. Yeah. Did, did you? This is a, this is a uh, maybe an un, a, a brutal question to throw at you <laughs> to get a candid response from from you on this. But did you? 
Did you get a sense that this was going to, did you get a sense? Did you ever believe 100% that Bekele was going to start and finish this race? Uh, no. Yeah. I think he, I think you said it was one, it was either you or Andrew, uh, Crookshank who, who's our co co host on this pod, but is in the, in the forest right now camping somewhere. Um, so he can't join us tonight. But I, one of you said that you didn't think that he was going to finish. Or maybe it was both of you said you you thought he was going to DNF. I I gave I think Andrew gave him the DNF. I gave him the third place just because I don't know. There's something in my head. It's like it's like coming face to face with Santa Claus when you're a kid, right? You really hope that you're going to see it, and a part of you thinks they're going to see it. But there was just a part of me that thought there's no way to actually have Kipchoge and Bikili sprinting to the finish, battling against that two-hour barrier. It's almost too good to be true. And again, the reason that I didn't think that was going to happen is because Bikili is such a limiting reagent. Look, he's got one good marathon finish in the last four years, and it's it's always the health. So I don't know. You know what's, you know what's kind of fun about that thought experiment is you never doubt Kipchoge. You never doubt that he's going to be there. And that's like... That's just a testament to his consistency. There's an article that came out um, in the New York Times, I think either today or yesterday or just recently, uh, that they did the classic thing. They went in, the writer went and followed Kipchoge, asked him questions, talked about the simple lifestyle and everything. But they went into a bit of his heritage and I thought it was really cool. So Kipchoge is a Talai, mm-hmm. which is a subgroup of the Nandi which in turn are one of the nine subgroups of the Kalenjins, which are the the tribe that has produced so many fast runners that we know today in Kenya. And apparently the Talai are known in Kenya by the other tribes for their wisdom and their important (laughs) role in Kenyan history. Oh, you you haven't heard it yet. Their wisdom, their important role in Kenyan history, and their supernatural abilities. So... So he is Yoda. Yeah. So he is. He's Yoda. I always he, go the on Buddha. about. He's the Buddha. He's the Buddha. I always go on about Kipchoge floating. I think he can. This is it. I think he can. Oh, you float. think you don't think it's the shoes? You don't think it's the alpha flies that are that are giving him the four or five six percent boost? I think he defies gravity. Ah, you think that it's just he just makes it easier on his own body by cheating gravi- the gravitational pull a little bit with his supernatural powers. Yeah, and even if he can't float, that's his supernatural power. Is he's he's figured out the marathon like yeah. no one else ever before. He's fast, and he doesn't get injured. He doesn't he doesn't have a bad day. Look, this is going to be the time that he has a bad day after us just talking him up. But it just doesn't happen. Do you think it's 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 actually hard to? Um, I think Kennedy Spicelli is somebody who is actually a lot easier to to pull apart and to focus on as an individual because he does seem like overly human in some respects. He has clearly exhibited um, signs of being, you know, obviously competitive, of being vulnerable, uh, of having a little bit of an ego. And uh, clearly in this case with that video of, you know, of feeling some pretty raw emotions, he was like, you could tell initially in the interview he's maybe perhaps a little bit nervous because he's kind of got that nervous smile that he that he can exhibit it from time to time. But he obviously was frustrated as well. 
Mm-hmm. You never get any of that from Kipchoge. You get no. You get like the the placid, uh, de- even keel demeanor of Elliot Kipchoge. Always, he's always like on brand and on message. And I don't think it's in a. Uh, uh, it's just, I don't think he's got a phony bone in his body. I think it's all quite genuine. But yeah, you know, you never ever see him waver. I'm curious to see how he uh re- responds to this situation and what I, I think I think that he just he's running his own race always anyway so it doesn't really matter who's there although I was really excited to see if perhaps Bekele could uh inject a bit of chaos into into the situation do you think that this positively or negatively affects Kipchoge's performance on Sunday I think he goes into the race feeling no different. I think you nailed it there. But I think that if anything, it affects it affects him negatively because there's in Kipchoge, I can't see that there's none of that. Uh, you know, oh, Achilles not racing. I'm less nervous. I perform better. No, I think mentally he's already optimal. The reason I think it could affect him mentally is when you look at it, Bikili and Kipchoge are actually um, they're like they're like synergistic rivals they make each other better in theory at least because Bikili likes to lead Kipchoge doesn't mind following and that I'm inferring from all the you know the breaking two challenges and stuff he likes to have pacers and he knows that you know pacing behind someone helps and he's fine doing that and then he's fine to make a break when it's time and take the win but Bikili's a guy who likes to lead from the start he's so gutsy right so all it would take would be for Bikili to come in super fit you know drop a 59.30 half marathon and obviously Kipchoge goes with him and then that's it that's how you get your really fast race in this case you know we have a really good field here on the men's side there's there's seven guys who have run faster than 205 but none of those guys has the balls and they they shouldn't have that would be a, such a stupid thing to do to take it out in a 59.30 and just try to break Kipchoge off the gun so if Kipchoge wants to go fast now the Bikili's not there he's on his own. So I think it's a, it's a net negative for him too. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing that we have to always keep in mind when we're looking at these big city marathons where there's a lot on the line, um, money, the glory of winning the race, uh, legend status, that sort of thing. Uh, Olympic qualifying as well as as a factor even though I don't think it's really a big concern for either Kipchoge or Berkeley, if they want a spot, they have it for their respective countries. But when there's a lot on the line, um, these races are also very controlled. And in this case, there will be pacers. And I think that when they were going into this race, regardless of if it's just Kipchoge or if it was Bekele versus Kipchoge, there was going to be an agreed upon uh, pace setting uh, number. And that number was going to be probably uh, 60-30 or something like that for the first half. And then uh, whether or not they adjust is, is, I think, dependent on whomever's at the front with the, that lead pace group at that time. And there's a lot of other little things that are agreed upon about like whether or not that second place person has a pace or drop back with them, all these sorts of like uh, agreements that happen in the technical meeting, which is probably happening tonight. Probably already happened because it's three o'clock in the morning right now, <laughs> Monday morning and uh, or sorry Saturday morning in, in London. So the cards are already sort of shown by all these athletes, and 
my guess is is that uh, Kipchoge obviously runs the show now, so he's going to decide. He he and his 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 agent, his team, his coach, they're going to decide what the pace is going to be, what the pace setters, what the pacemakers are going to set the pace at, and what he's going he's going to sit in the pocket now. I don't think it would be any in in theory it's it's not really any different a race in that regard like you weren't going to get Kipchoge out on the front pushing the pace forcing the, the the pacemakers to run faster in the first half but there would have been that dramatic tension of the two of them side by side sitting in that pocket together behind those pacers and and us as viewers wrapped in watching this unfold and wondering when one of these two guys is going to make a move or if one of the contenders is going to make a move at some point. So now it's left to this group of contenders and we can talk about them in a minute here, but I just want to want to continue with looking at Kipchoge's uh, outlook for Sunday. So you don't think you think it will affect him negatively ultimately a little bit. I, I think, I mean, he's just human and I think that, he's human and he's a he's a he's a good competitor so i think having that rivalry having that body there and not just any person like it, it's different if it's if it's garamu who's pushing him you know then it almost becomes like a a negative thing you want to be up there with bikili you want to be up there with someone you know has run as fast as you and i just can't see how that would not having bikili there would impact him positively at all so it's either that it kind of it, it kind of hampers his motivation a bit or that it just doesn't bother him one bit. Maybe he doesn't even know that Bikili's not racing yet. <laughs> he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. um, he'd probably just say something super nice about Bikili and like that he's so sad for Bikili that he was not able he's not going to be able to also run his 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 his, his to his greatest potential and like yeah. really wholeheartedly mean it. Um, isn't he the worst? Kipchoge's just the worst. Bikili must be like this fucking guy. He's just perfect in every way. This is what I have to compete with. His calves don't even give out. Um, I, yeah, I think that this actually does it positively negatively. I want to say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a push in terms of whether or not it, um, it affects him. Cause I think it, probably for Kipchoge ultimately based on his uh, mental fortitude and his incredible impeccable approach to racing and his complete lack of ego it seems I don't think he really feeds off of this in any respect because I think he had his race plan in that in that like I think he when he's racing he is uh, within himself and isn't really reacting terribly to others which is a um, highly unusual uh, headspace for a competitive athlete, especially a, the greatest, the greatest in his discipline. Um, yeah, I I think that this, I th- I want to say almost positively affects Kipchoge's outcome because now this is his race, and now this goes back to this defaults back to how Kipchoge has always approached uh, marathon running, really since the second or third race that he, uh, the marathon that he ever ran. I mean, obviously the first races that he ran, he ran, he ran Berlin. Um, and then, uh, 
what did he run second after that? Frankfurt, I believe it was. First race, it wasn't really his race. He was uh, he was new to this. He was new to the discipline. The race, no, everyone wasn't keying off of him. And then after that, obviously, this became his discipline, and he became dominant at it. And then uh, race directors were deferring to him for what the sort of race he wanted, what sort of pace he wanted. The pacers were keying off of him. So this falls back into Kipchoge, what Kipchoge is comfortable at. He's comfortable at, like you look at London last year, where it's like the gun goes off within like one minute, it's Kipchoge and his pacers and they're running the pace they want to race the entire time. And it's super controlled. And it's very similar. This is going to be a very similar experience to breaking two in the, the, the sub two hour race last year in Vienna where closed course this time, not even the stress or distraction of, of fans of spectators really beyond the few people in this little biosphere that they've created. Uh, and he gets to just go at it uh, for, for two ish hours. Really interesting to see if he's going to adjust the pace at all, slow it down, speed it up, if this is a world record attempt only, or if this is a sub-two-hour attempt. They've been pretty if it's cool. a world record, he, if it's a world record attempt, he kept it pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't, except maybe weather. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, let's move off of Kipchoge for a minute. Let's talk a little bit about the course and the conditions and then we'll talk about the contenders. Uh, and then we're going to move into the, uh, we'll talk about the women's race as well, obviously. And we'll, we'll round it out uh, by touching on some of the other secondary races that are happening uh, behind these, these lead, uh, the, the lead athletes in the men's and the women's races. So uh, Alex, you play weatherman for a second here. Have you, uh, have you, have you, have you looked at the, uh, they forecast for Sunday in London. What's what are we looking at? Yeah, we're looking at a pretty average forecast, Michael. <laughs> I, I wish I wish I, I wish I had the backdrop here. Ten degrees, ten Celsius. Now, I know there's been some studies coming out that would suggest that eight to nine degrees Celsius were was the perfect type of temperature to run uh, a long distance race like a marathon. So temperature wise, I think we're doing pretty well. Ten is pretty good. Uh, 52% chance possibility of precipitation. And that's just showers. Um, doesn't look like it's going to rain a whole lot, but the thing is it's supposed to rain all day on Saturday in London. So we might be looking at some, uh, some wet roads. Uh, and also I know a lot of people complain about these new shoes, like the vapor flies, the alpha flies, even the, the Saucony, um, endorphin being a bit slippery in the water. So, uh, that could perhaps be a factor. And the other thing is humidity. We're looking at a pretty high humidity uh, index, 86%. So, but you know, the good thing is that, you know, humidity and the heat is pretty killer. Humidity and 10 degrees may not get someone as badly. So it's not a bad day by any means. Oh, and the other thing is 23 kilometer an hour winds. So little gusts, nothing too bad. Yeah. I mean, with a course that's effectively, uh, operating as one giant track because it's sort of like a big jagged rectangle they're mm. they're running um it's about two kilometers uh and there is a park in the middle of it so that should sort of compensate for some of the crosswinds and that sort of thing and headwinds 
should be okay. Although I would say anything, I would say anything above 10 or 12 kilometers is starting to very, very slightly affect performance in one way or another. And then obviously if they're running essentially in a big circle over and over again, nearly 20 times, that's, there's going to be a, a, a loss and a gain in every lap if you're if the wind's blowing in one direction consistently. So I don't love that wind. I don't love that humidity level, even if it's cold. And being around 10 degrees Celsius, uh, I my understanding is that particularly like the, the East African guys and, and, and women don't love that colder temperature, even though the studies do suggest that performances are at their apex at around seven, eight, nine degrees. But there's usually, um, particularly coming out of a warm summer of training in Kenya, for example, where Kipchoge is training, he, he might, there might be some, some sense that it's on the cold side. So expect the arm warmers, um, the, uh, those neat Nike arm warmers with the, like the little weird, dots on them to uh for uh wind for wind resistance or to 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 lower wind resistance and then obviously he's going to be wearing the alpha fly which is the shoe that he debuted in vienna last year that took him under two hours uh obviously in a non-world record legal course should be interesting to see if he can get close to two hours i I'm not sure about it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Alex. So let's um, talk about another one thing before it, just a, a thing to mention about the course. There's been a lot of, of chat on Twitter about the fact that there are a lot of turns there because are. it's a, it's a, it's a two kilometer course and it's turning, turning. And obviously the thought about that is that it's going to slow down the runners a whole lot. But yesterday I was reading a thread uh, from Alex Hutchinson. We call him a friend of the show, Canadian. Yep. He was, um, he um, kind of made the comparison between the Monza course. Uh, yeah. Sorry, the Vienna course, the breaking two course. The breaking, that was Which Monza. one? The first one or the second one? The, 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 fir, the, the first Italian one, course. the 2017, the Italian course. That's Vienna. Monza, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, Monza. that's a racetrack, yeah. Okay, I got it right. Uh, they had conducted studies on the Monza course to see how much it would slow down rudders because it was a similarly... Uh, it was a similar length of course, and they found that for the entire marathon, the fact that runners would be turning instead of going straight the whole time would make them about a second and a half slower total. total. So basically nothing. So by the end, uh, yeah, these runners are going to be going around a course and going to be turning a lot, but that should not uh, that 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 should not slow them down all that much. Here's a little fun fact. Uh, Alex Hutchison and I ran a half marathon on that Monza course right after Kipchoge uh, ran breaking two. Can I bet on who won? It was actually a tie. It was a tie. It was a, you guys. We didn't. Ran we didn't we, yeah, we we held hands across the finish line. Yeah, we just ran together. It was a group of us running. They yeah. say Hutchinson has wheels. He's got a fast fifteen hundred that I don't think you've quite reached. Uh, no, yeah, he's a significantly <laughs> better runner than I am. That's, that, but that's really yeah. cool. So you ran, yeah. you ran a half on the Monza course. Yeah, like nice. about I don't know within about an hour after Kipchoge crossed the finish line, or less, cool. less than an hour. You yeah. could, 
you could pick up the arm warmers. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Great photo op. It was. I think I think I've got a photo of it. It was a neat experience. Anyway, um, so let's talk about contenders for a second here before we move on to the uh, the women's field. On the men's side, as you mentioned before, I mean, initially it was billed as eight. I believe it was eight runners that that were sub sub uh, two hundred five runners, which is just an extraordinary thing to think about, and mm. and also points to just how far this discipline has come, even in the last five years. Really, I mean, the numbers have just dropped, and obviously the technology and shoes are a big factor in, in playing into that in the last couple of years, certainly. Uh, but now we're we're looking at seven runners, including Kipchoge, that are that have broken two hundred five, and including it was four, so now it's three of the top ten uh, marathon runners in terms of time in history. Uh, who are who are our big contenders, Alex? I mean, we we talked about this when the elite field was announced at the end of August, but let's just go over it real quick again. Uh, who are our, who is going to be sitting in that pocket behind the Pacers, right behind Kipchoge, just sort of lying in wait, hoping that this will be their big breakthrough day and that they will be the uh, the dragon slayer. Yeah, yeah, and you said it. This is, this is a perfect opportunity to earn the title of dragon slayer. I'm thinking of Muhammad Amman uh, taking down David Rudisha once in, in the 800 meters years ago and keeping that that name dragon slayer for years so this is an opportunity for a bunch of these guys and there's very much an ethiopian flair in this chase pack right so um i think we mentioned his name just a while ago masanet garemu would be uh well i guess we call him the dark horse now in this race and not only because he has the fastest pb after kipchoge he's a 202 55 guy so nothing to sneeze at he also <laughs> ran that in london last year so he knows the course. He knows the environment. He's a young enough guy compared to the the, the two original contenders. I guess he's twenty eight years old. Um, Ethiopian, anyway. He's I think he's probably uh, the front runner in this chase pack. But it's a dense chase pack and a deep one. So another one to look at would be Mule Wasihun, also of Ethiopia, a two hundred three fifteen. Uh, also ran it at London last year. He was third. So. Um, I think these two, they must be, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that they're, they've trained together. They know each other probably pretty well. They're both the same age. They're from the same place. Uh, and then you have Tamirat Tola, also Ethiopian, 204.06. So <laughs> just a bunch of these guys were so quick. 204.49, that's uh, Tamirat, or sorry, Shurikatata. So these four uh, would probably be your chase pack you might have marius kipsarem in there from kenya same deal 20411 so and he ran it at rotterdam last year too uh cise lemma also an ethiopian okay see and he's a 20336 you just go down this list and there's so many fast runners only i think 11 of them have photos you have a bunch of 205 guys who don't even have their photos on the website because they're technically <laughs> You have Benson Capruto, who's a 205 guy. Vincent Kipchumba, who's a 205 guy. See, they come to the Toronto Waterfront Marathon, and they're they're the marquee. Yeah, they're the marquee. Capruto, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be so deep. So see, you have see another one, uh, Gideon Kipketter. One of these guys has a breakthrough race, and they're right up there in the chase pack. So I think that is 
pretty much your 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 chase back, and we could be looking at six or seven guys who are chasing Kipchoge. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, Garamu and uh, Wasihun, and uh, obviously Kiptada. Tola is an interesting guy. He's, I believe, he was, if I'm not mistaken, the the youngest sub two hundred five in history when he ran Dubai. Um, I'm just doing the math here on his age. No, that's not correct. Sorry. Um, but he he he. Oh, that's right. He he won Dubai a couple of years ago and ran really hard off the front and was uh, split in the opening the opening half very very fast and obviously just sort of held on but still ran a two hundred four two hundred four oh six. But uh, Kitata, Wasihun, Garamu, these are guys that have hung around with the likes of of Kipchoge and Bekele, who's obviously not racing. Uh, So they kind of know what it's like to be in that scenario where you're deep into a race with the legend and you you've also watched the legend pull away on you and in the case of uh Berlin with a couple of these guys who raced against Bekele uh last year they they saw Bekele catch up to them and overtake them and you know reveal his his ability to close a race so i'm curious to see if one of these guys can break through um i like what do you think i like Garamu i like I like the way he races. Uh, he's he's been involved in a couple of really intense sprint finishes uh, in in recent years. He is at his prime. He's run under two hundred three. Is he then? Is he somebody you could challenge the world record and challenge Kipchoge in the final five kilometers of a race? Possibly. Do you think these guys are coming into the race with? the goal of finishing second or really with the thought that they could be, but how daunting is that? The guys lost, Kipchoge's lost to one person. He he's lost one major marathon out of 12. How can you come in and actually think that you're going to be the guy to slay the dragon? It's one thing to say that it's one thing to go into media interviews and say that you're there to win and, and whatever it is you're supposed to say, but you line up on the line. Can one of them actually dilute themselves into thinking that they can beat Kipchoge? I, I think in order to beat Kipchoge, you kind of have to be like a, a, a variant of Kipchoge. You have to be, run, you have to run your own race. You have to not really even think about him too much. You just have to believe in your own fitness, believe in uh, all the training you put in, believe in the previous number that you've laid down and the fact that you feel that you can make that next jump. Because obviously like 202 high is not 201.39. So there's still uh, an improvement that needs to be made in the race. And that's the greatest of all time. That's the world record. So uh, it requires an incredible amount of self-belief, obviously. And um, and also perhaps a certain amount of like uh, what Kipchoge has, which is a, a, a seeming, seemingly a disinterest uh, in what others are doing and an entire focus on what he is doing uh, and what his plan is and how he is going to execute in the last 10 kilometers and close out the race. We shall see. 
Let's um, let's move on to um, let's move on to the women's race and break down the women's race a little bit. You know, obviously we've talked at length about the men's race uh, for obvious reasons. This was supposed to be uh, the greatest marathon duel of all time, and the shocking news today that uh, that Bekele is out of the race is, you know, has really uh, sort of thrown a thrown this whole event into a a a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a chaotic situation. But let's let's now look at the women's race. Okay, so the women's race, obviously the headliner is Bridget Koskai, the Kenyan uh, superstar who had the big breakthrough marathon in Chicago last year, running the world record at astonishing 214.04. That to me feels like just, it's more head scratching than, than, than any of Kipchoge's runs. Although, Alex, you, you plugged in that time into the, the, um, world athletics calculator, the tables, and it's actually not comparable to Kipchoge's time. It's a little bit slower by, by sort of pure points analysis that they do. Uh, I still think that that time is just kind of unbelievable, but let's, let's look, let's look a little bit deeper. On the women's side, we've got Koskai, obviously she's the front runner. It's going to be the race will be tailored around her, but there are a group of contenders as well that I can only imagine are thinking this is their opportunity to run uh, something close to that 214 and certainly to potentially dip under 215, which would be just astonishing. Yeah, so I think a difference between the men's and women's field this year is that you know, there are a few contenders who are within two, three minutes to Kipchoge. And as for the women it would be a quite a jump for someone to reach Costco's best time. But I think this race is going to be very close. Why? Because Costco kind of showed her fitness recently when she was on the track against Stefan Hassan in that one hour challenge and lost. And she was barely running at her marathon. She was running a bit quicker than her marathon world record pace. So I wouldn't say that, that Costco is out of the woods here, especially because there's a really good, chase uh field that's forming and while the men's side kind of has more of an ethiopian flair the women's side is a bit more of a kenyan flair so we're going to be looking at ruth chepengetich who has been you know pretty prominent on the scene as of late uh she's got a 217.08 quite quick second fastest time in the field she ran that in dubai last year then there's vivian chariot who has been on the scene for quite a while she's 37 this year 218.31 and that pb actually comes from london two years ago and she has just you know so so much experience and she won the london marathon two years ago so she has a gold medal under her um a couple quick ethiopians as well you have Ashede shady who uh has a 220.14 from uh berlin last year so she's a bit more of a newcomer to the scene uh alemu mcgertu who has a 221, it's a 23-year-old, ran that in Frankfurt last year. So she's on the rise. Um, oh, and also Valerie Jamelli from Kenya that we forgot, 219.10. So as we stand, we have four sub-220 women, and we lost a contender, actually, uh, to get to Azimera. It was 
is now out of the race. She tested positive for COVID-19. So she was likely going to be in that lead chase pack. Uh, so we're probably going to be looking at a pack of four. Um, but same deal. You know, it, it might not have the star power of the men's side, but this is this is a really good field. Yeah, actually, you know what? The uh, As I'm listening to you kind of um, breaking this down, the men's and the women's fields are actually kind of there's like a symmetry now with the world record holder and seemingly clear favorite, the dominant racer up front, and a group of contenders that are exceptionally talented. And, you know, if this were any other race, they would be the clear runaway favorite. But obviously, this is not any other race. This is the, you know, race for the ages. This is the stacked event. Like Ruth uh, Chepengedich. She won the world championships in Dubai, Dubai um, this la- oh, feels like forever ago, last year, um, and extremely hard race, 40 plus degrees Celsius on the start line, midnight start local time there in Dubai, and also similar to London, a, a series of, I believe in, in Dubai, it was more like a it was a little bit of a longer loop, uh, so less loops. And it wasn't 19 loops, that's for sure. Uh, so she's used to this uh, unusual setting uh, for a race and raced really well there as well. It was She, was, she had a really pr- impressive performance. And obviously Vivian Chariot is a super accomplished athlete uh, with a, a lot of racing experience and a lot of high-level performances. So... Yeah, I I agree with you that um that Koskai looked pretty beatable on that hour on the track race in Belgium this summer. I guess that was in That was about a month ago. It was yeah, it's time is blurring like in such a crazy capacity, but I think it was yeah. some at some point in the end of August, early September. Um and I do wonder though, because when you're doing marathon training and she was already she was already booked for London for this race and it was pretty certain that it was going to happen because it was an, it's an elite only race. So they didn't really have to worry about the big field or anything like that. So th- this was a closed event. It was going to happen. This event was going to happen. We all knew that uh, from the time they announced this, this program, this strategy. And I just wonder if Koskai was just kind of training through and the hour on the track was something that fit into the training program. It was that, extra stimulus perhaps that the coach was looking for that the coach was looking for and that she was incorporating into a big week or maybe a down week uh, so she could recover a little bit or the week after was in a down week. That's often what marathon runners do is they kind of like train through their racing. So I'm not trying to make excuses for her uh, lackluster performance in the hour on the track, but you know, she didn't, look obviously like she was at the peak of her powers clearly in that race. Uh, although, uh, Sifan Hassan is, is, uh, no slouch to be racing against. So that said, the times they were putting up were like, they were good, but not great. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I think that again, this is Costco's race to define. She's going to, they have probably agreed upon what I'm curious to see what the, the pacing will be. It'll be curious to, to see what the first 5k split looks like. Uh, are they going, are they going to go conservatively? Is it going to be a two fifteen race? Is it going to be a 
to, I mean, this is nuts to say, but like 217 is really, really fast. And it just sounds like if we get paced out to a 217 race in the first 5K, everyone's going to be kind of disappointed and just sort of like, oh, really? We're only going to get a yeah. 217, 218 finish here? Well, that's not what I was looking for today, you know? But I think, I think London, given the circumstances, given the closed course, given how special this race is, if Koskai is hundred percent fit coming in, like you'd have to imagine she's going to be trying to go after that two fourteen time she's already run. It's it's also just a better tactical move if she does right. Just having those few minutes on the rest of the field, it would probably be her best bet at winning if she goes out at least in two fifteen pace. You know, a two fifteen pace is kind of a I think well. You know, if I were there, it'd be kind of a smart move because it's something well within her capabilities. And at the same time, it's something that none of these other athletes have run. So I think by going out there and trying to hang out at 217, 218 for Costco, she's just inviting trouble. If she but again, it's like you say, if she's fit, if she if she doesn't think she has a 214 in her, it'd be wiser to just kind of sit in the pack and chill. I think the times of this race. Uh, are really going to depend on what fitness cost guys in coming in. And I'm sure these other women kind of hope that she's fit because maybe she can pull a few of them along. Like these 217, 218 athletes, you know, they make a jump and they're, they're around Paula Radcliffe territory. I guarantee you she will not be alone at the halfway point. Hmm. I, I, I mean, guarantee it's a dangerous thing to say. Now I'm thinking about it, it's like 21K in. I guarantee you she will be not not be alone at the 10K mark. Uh, it's probably a safer way of saying it. But I, based on the stakes, the opportunity here, yes, it is an Olympic qualifier, so there is that opportunity as well to show your country that you're able to race at this top level. And and kind of just the overall kind of like ethos, this the, the attitude... Um, the approach to racing that that many East African runners have is to go for it. If you're fit, to go for it. And so, if uh, Costco's pacers take her out at two fourteen or two fifteen ish pace, so that's what one twelve, uh, one twelve and a half for the half. You're gonna see. You're gonna see a, a few athletes run. Maybe even a surprising number of athletes running with her at least through the first. 10, 15 kilometers to, to just to test the waters to see how it feels that day. That's these paces are so razor sharp for an athlete, particularly for an athlete who maybe can run a half marathon at that pace and has run a half marathon at that pace, but has never crossed that threshold. Um, it's such a, a, a fine line between being able to pull that off for 20, 25 K and then just completely breaking into that. You're going to see some serious drop off. I mean, we've seen this in the past with, with, uh, in London, we've seen this in the past in London where like the, the first half is jaw dropping explosive and fast. And then the second half is a, a real, a real sort of tough, uh, war of attrition 
uh, from the front. So we shall see. I'm curious to see what Costco's pace is going to be. I think she's probably going to, yeah, I mean, again, it's like anything short of the 214.04 that she ran in Chicago will be maybe a little bit disappointing, which is crazy to say. Here's a, uh, a question. Ruth Chepengetich has no world marathon major experience. She came out last year at the world champs, takes the win, 217.08. She's incredibly raw. She's incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. She comes to Britain. She's chasing cost guy. Let's say the weather's okay. Let's say everything lines up. Can she get close to Paula Radcliffe's world record that stood so long before Cost Guy, 215.25? I don't know. I mean, like, she's run 217. Uh, jump. Uh, it's a big, that's a big jump. Two minutes, it's a huge jump. And also, uh, I don't love the Dubai times, man. I've never, lo- like, there are a lot of athletes that have got the Dubai, the, the, the Dubai PB, and then the weird collection of performances around that, but Dubai is the one that really sticks out. I don't love the Dubai time. I don't love, because I find that more often than not, you've got this sparkling time performance from Dubai, and then you can't ever really follow that performance. That just It just seems to be the case across the board for so many of these athletes. And so until I see that major marathon performance that's similar to the Dubai performance, I'm pretty skeptical of it. And we'll leave it at that. So Alex, let's talk about the rest of this field. It seems like we talked about every possible person in this race. Uh, However, there is a whole second half of this field that's quite frankly like equally as fascinating and I'm actually quite excited because because it's a closed course, uh, because it's an elite only race, and because the women's and the men's races are uh are happening completely discreetly of each other, we are going to get from my understanding, BBC is going to give full coverage and multiple tiers of the race. So we're not just going to get Kipper at the front and Koskai at the front and speculation as to what's happening behind. My understanding is we're going to get multiple looks, multiple, uh, multiple pace groups. Um, obviously they brought in Mo Farah, the great Mo Farah to pace, uh, the Olympic qualifying groups. So that's a two eleven thirty or faster group in the men's race and the women's race will have a 229 30 group um, of quite a few uh, local English uh, runners and Australian runners as well uh, I think right off the top the most fascinating runners that are not in that lead contending group are people like Sandra Moen, who is a Norwegian marathon runner, who is has the title of, I guess, being, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's the fastest white guy in the world. 
to say I, it crassly. I, I he's think the fastest so. non I think he's the fastest non East African runner, maybe close to of since, all time. Since Ryan Hall started lifting weights, I believe. Yeah. yeah. He's he's he ran two oh five forty eight in Fukuoka, which is in Japan in twenty seventeen. That was a huge breakout for him. He was like a a personal best by by quite a few minutes. Um, he's he trained with with Renato Canova, the legendary, infamous weirdo uh, Italian coach that is based predominantly in Kenya. And on the Let's Run message boards, and on yeah, he actually participates in them, which is so weird. Uh, and Moen, he been relatively quiet in the last couple of years since that two oh five breakthrough, um, but. He did run an an hour the an hour race earlier uh, during the pandemic and threw down basically a half marathon and just like a couple of meters over a half marathon distance in in one hour, which is a pretty good fitness test for him. But he's maybe going to be in no man's land here uh, in around two o five. Maybe I don't know. Maybe he's faster. Maybe he's two o four shape. But even like that's to say, but like two o four shape is no man's land in this race. Um, hmm. So he's an interesting character for sure. Uh, and then like let's let's talk about who else is is in this race. Um, and we'll start with with the men's side here. Uh, there are, there are a group of. Uh, English runners that are obviously trying to make the Olympics. Um, so that's two eleven thirty. Uh, I, I'm kind of fascinated by guys like Chris Thompson and uh, Ben Connor, who's running his first marathon. He's a sixty. He's just gotten under sixty one in the half marathon, which is extremely fast. Uh, so there's going to be this interesting group, uh, led by Mo Farah, of course. Yeah, yeah, and you got to think that these three Brits are going to work together. So, and it's they're a fun group because they're all coming from different places. So, Chris Thompson, I'm looking at his picture here on the website. He's got this this big muscle shirt cutout. He used to say he kind of looks like a hockey coach, and he's uh, got a two eleven nineteen. So he's hovering right around that Olympic standard. And then, yeah, like you said, Ben Connor. He's a 28 year old first marathon. 60 50 he's got the wheels to, to to challenge that olympic standard then you have johnny meller who's a 210 guy and the good thing here is about these these guys that are hovering around 210 it's that it's not only going to be those brits you'll have like a group of 208 to 212 runners coming from all over the place likely trying to hit that standard so we have arne gabius of germany He's a 208 guy. Uh, Jared Ward of the States, a 209 guy. Now, he obviously can't qualify for the Olympics because the trials already happened in the States, but he's probably going to be in that pack at the 209. You have Elroy uh, Gallant of South Africa, 210 guy. Danielle Mucci of, of Italy, 210 guy. Brett Robinson of Australia, 210. Juan Luis Barrios of Mexico, 210. Peter Herzog of Austria, 210. So you almost have one person per country. And obviously be remiss if we didn't mention the Canadians. So uh, Cam Levins is kind of our guy, that the, our home guy that we'll be rooting for. 209.25 is his time. And he was kind of a late addition to the field. And Levins is, is, has actually been training quite well. I think he ran a 62 half marathon in just a, in just a time trial. So we know that he's fit. Um, and yeah, see, this is, a, this is a big group of guys. And of course, this group is going to be probably chasing like a pseudo chase pack from the 
actual chase pack because like you mentioned you know moen might be in no man's land but if if a few of these 205 guys actually run 205 like we mentioned earlier chip kip chumba kipruto and kip ketter are three 205 guys so what might happen is just you know every few minutes a little group of three five seven guys it's it's i think we're looking at you know a good 12 10 12 15 runners around 210 or faster i'm fascinated by i mentioned moen before who's in that weird spot um i wouldn't be 100 percent surprised to see him in the league group for a bit if he's really fit because he's that kind of guy I'm, mm. I'm actually really curious to see what cam levens does because cam levens is somebody we know quite well canadian athlete uh americans know him from his time in the NCAA, uh, he was the he won the Bowerman. He is the the top NCAA runner while he was there, and obviously has the Canadian record in his run run two hundred nine. But he is always somebody who has sort of held himself to an even higher standard. He's an extremely self critical athlete uh, and uh, smart guy, and I he's he said to me before that he thinks he's like a if I'm correct me if I'm wrong here I'm sorry Cam if I'm getting the number wrong but he's always sort of said that he's like he felt he was sort of a 207 type runner not a just breaking 210 breaking the Canadian record type of runner and his track times uh point to that because he's he's run you know extremely fast on the track uh 20 27 I want to say 2711 for 10,000 meters, if I'm not mistaken. I could be a little bit off on that, but he is, uh, he has got the pedigree. He's got the wheels for it. He's clearly built for the distance, having run an incredible debut marathon. He had a little bit of a hiccup in his second race last year in Toronto, where he ran around, I think it was around 215 and, and really struggled in the last 10 kilometers. But that's kind of an interesting thing for him because I think you need to have that experience to learn how difficult this is event is uh to have a little bit of like healthy fear in it so that you get things right he's changed coaches uh and he's doing bigger blocks bigger harder workouts he said larger chunks of time-based marathon pace and as you pointed out alex that 62 minute half marathon which he ran on his own on like the side of the road somewhere in oregon uh I didn't look at the course profile, but my assumption is it was relatively flat because he said he was running it to kind of initially in the hopes of maybe using that as a way to get in on the uh, World Half Marathon Championships for Team Canada. But instead, his agent um, bagged his way into London, uh, which is incredible. And it's been kind of last minute. Think about this for a second for a guy like Cam Levins. This is kind of interesting. He lives in Portland, Oregon. He's got a house there. Uh, he would normally be doing all this training there. He obviously was up until a point because he ran the 62 half there. Then there's the civil unrest in the U.S. that is uh, one of the epicenters of that, of the protest movement is obviously Portland. Then there's the forest fires. And the air quality in and around the Portland area is, at the time, of when he needs to be doing the build for London, the worst in the world. 
Like we're talking worse air quality than, uh, you know, anywhere. Like when you think of air quality issues in places like, you know, India and parts of industrial China, worse than that. So how do you get your training in? He, yeah. He goes to Utah. He does some altitude, some sort of impromptu altitude training in Cedar City, Utah, um, where he's trained and lived in the past and did some massive workouts. Uh, you can see on Strava, he did like 30-ish K workout, 514 mile pace. He did one workout that was close to 30K in uh, very similar, like right around floating around this in kilometers I wrote down, it's 309. These are these are workouts that are bigger and badder and more insane than the workouts he was doing before his 209 debut marathon a couple of years ago. So I think he's an interesting spot. He's a super competitive guy. I just don't know if there's that group that he can run with in 208 or 07. So he might be stuck... And this might be what he wants. He might be running in that two eleven thirty group with Mo Farah, um, hanging in there, just looking to surge in that last five k to get, you know, a, a, a healthy sub two eleven thirty so he can qualify for the Olympics for Canada. So he yeah. that's he's going to be an interesting guy. He's going to be an interesting guy in this race. I think there are a lot of athletes in this race that are. Um, that are going to put in fascinating performances that I think there's going to be some people that are going to really excel at this, uh, particularly given the constraints of the race. Let's talk a little bit about um, the women's race for a second here. Um, the women's race behind the, the, the cost guys and the, the, the top elites in many ways, some of the most fascinating in, athletes that are that are in this race as well I, I think right away of someone like sarah hall uh who is uh you know had a phenomenal last couple of years who um didn't didn't uh make the olympic team for the united states so this is a race like uh, uh like with jared ward on the men's side and the other the american runner on the men's side this is a this is a this is a one for me, you know, like instead of the one for them for making the US team. This is just about running fast. What do you th- what do you think she's she's going to produce in this race? I hope she runs well. I mean, if you're a Sarah Hall fan, it's been a frustrating year for you. So I can't imagine how frustrating it would have been for Hall. Everyone knows she's fit. She knows she's fit. She runs super well in the fall of 2019. Big breakthrough. And then just doesn't have it on the day when it counts. So the Olympic trials, it's, it's a bad day. Everyone has bad days. And then, you know, you roll out of the trials. A few weeks later, the world goes on lockdown. And then she's just, you know, like any any one of us would do, desperately just trying to show fitness somehow. Goes to these obscure races just because they exist and still shows that she's super fit and waits and waits and waits to actually have a race where she can show fitness. And this is it. So. You know, if there's any logic in the world, she's going to run super well. And I hope that, that, you know, she has a good day. She's just a year removed from her PB of 222. She's on she's on that elite bill. She's got a photo on the website. And uh, <laughs> this is a big – that's the separating factor. If you look at the elite field, some have photos and some don't. And 
I think that's telling. What's more telling is you'll have some, you know, you have a 219 runner here on the women's field who doesn't have a photo. Uh, but okay, I'm looking at some other photos. Uh, I think we should probably talk about Sinead Diver of Australia. So a 224 PB coming in. She ran this last year. The incredibly impressive thing, as if that's not impressive enough, she's 43 years old. She's running her best right now. And yeah, she's going to be coming in trying to make an Olympic team. She hasn't made an Olympic team yet. And, you know, this is this is likely her best shot, perhaps her last shot. So she's going to be given it. Uh, same deal on the women's side. And, you know, you said this for for the men and the women in the, in the truly elite. And the fields keep kind of mirroring themselves as you go down. So you have a few Brits on the men's side, a few Brits on the women's side who are, you know, who should be right around that that Olympic standard. You have Lily Partridge, whose PB is six seconds under the Olympic standard. She ran that in 2018, so she's going to have to replicate that. Yikes. You'll have, yeah, I know. Steph Twell, 226.40. She ran that last year, so she's got some wiggle room. She should be well under that standard. And then after that, you look at the chase pack, and you know you have these five, six, seven women who are 226, 227 runners who just have to get there and run a decent race, and then they're under standard. And you have them coming from from everywhere. You have Ellie Pashley of Australia, 226.21. Sarah Caterina Ribeiro of Portugal, 226.39. Uh, Molly Seidel, again, she's already on the team, but she's there, 227.31, going to the Olympics. Uh, Gerda Stein of South Africa, 227.48. Lindsay Flanagan of the U.S., uh, 228.05, Daria Mikhailova of Ukraine, 228.15. Anyway, it, it, it keeps going, but same deal. There's going to be a very healthy chase pack here. And uh, you see also have a few 230 runners who are just in this race to try to make that extra step and go down. You have Tracy Barlow of Great Britain, Natasha Cocker of Great Britain. Uh, you have Gisabua of Mexico. And uh, yeah, this, this, this could be, if they pack up and all try to run around 229.30, this could become like a pack of 10 runners deep that it's going to be one of the exciting subplots of this as a spectator experience is clock watching at 229 and a half to see how many women in this group are able to kind of hold it together in the last kilometers and then there's going to be that like kind of desperation to get under that 229 and a half particularly for the the british athletes where you know, there's so many British athletes that are kind of like on the cusp that are either have like a little bit of a buffer, but obviously, you know, that buffer goes out the window real fast if you're not having a banner day. And then on the flip side, you've got um, a, a group of athletes that are, you know, just on the edge of that ability level, at least for now, that are looking to to cross that threshold. So that's going to be like super exciting, a really exciting element of this. And just one final thing from this uh, this aspect of the of the field again I'll reiterate what I said when we did the uh, the uh, the field announcement rate uh, podcast on this in, in the end of August I love the fact that Molly Seidel is racing I love the fact that she you know she she qualified for the Olympics and placed second place in the US trials in her debut marathon she's a super talented athlete that's had her struggles over the years health issues. And is now racing really well. Sounds like, by all accounts, is in a very good place. And 
also showing an incredible amount of boldness to 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 jump into this race and to get more experience, good or bad. It's almost like a it's a win for her either way. Like she has a bad race and struggles and runs, I don't know, 235 or even 240 or whatever. Like if she like really has a hard time in the last five or 10K. Similar to what Cam Levins was saying about his experience last year with the Toronto Marathon, Waterfront Marathon with his second race, where it just didn't go according to plan. He runs a 215. He, he really struggles in the last 10K and learns like what it feels like when the marathon isn't working. And I think that that's really a valuable uh, learning experience for a, an, a marathon runner to know that, to know that feeling and uh, to use that as well. So, I mean, she could have a great second race and that would be even more exciting uh, if she could push that time down a little bit or, or just replicate that time so that she develops that level of confidence in what she's doing. So I, I, I'm excited for her and I'm looking forward to, to seeing what she can do. All right, final thing we've, uh, we've previewed the hell out of this race. So final questions here, Alex. First things first, who is going to win on the women's and the men's side of this marathon? All right, I'm going to start it super boring and not bold. Women's side... Bridget Kosgai of Kenya on the men's side, Elliot Kipchoge also of Kenya. Wow. Bold picks. <laughs> but there's a, there's a follow-up to this, but I'll leave it at that. What's your, what are, what are your predictions to win men and women? The winner of the 2020 London marathon will be, Ruth Cheptengedich of Kenya. Oh, you're just saying that. Okay. Yep. I'm going for it. I'm uh, this is my pick. This is my bold prediction. She's going to she's going to run she's going to run 217 and change. Costco is going to be a DNF and uh we're going to get um I think one of the Ethiopian runners will be third. And on the men's side, the winner of the London Marathon will be Elliot Kipchoge, he's going to take it again. You can't bet against the Kipper. No, you can't. You he's can't. You'd sound it, ridiculous. Set it and forget it. Elliot Kipchoge, every time. <laughs> he's going to take the win. What do you think he's going to run? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think, Koskai? You're picking Koskai. So what do you think, Koskai, and what do you think, Kipchoge, are going to run? Okay. So I'll start with Koskai. And I know we're going to talk, we're going to talk about surprises and disappointments in a sec. This is going to fit into my disappointment. I think people are going to run generally slower than we hope to see. And I think that's going just to be a product of long months without racing conditioning. And I think that's going to get cost guy the win, but in nothing faster than two sixteen thirty. So she's going to run, she's going to run two sixteen thirty. She's going to take the win. And what about what about Kipchoge? So he's he doesn't count. He's going to break the world record again. He's going to run. He's going to run. He's just going to break it a little bit. He's like he's doing the bolt thing, right? Where he just breaks it a bit. He's going to stick around for another like four or five years. 
So he's going to go like 201.29. Let's call it 201.29, 10 minutes faster than Olympic standard. Why not? <laughs> That's going to be his time. I love that as like a benchmark, like 10 minutes faster than the Olympic standard. That's how good he is. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Kipchoge, it, you mentioned a second ago, which is something I had not really given a lot of thought to, but it's a very good point, is usually leading up to the big goal race, these elite athletes do get their toes wet by running a, a half or a, a road 10K somewhere or, or, or something with some world-class competition in training, uh, in the midst of their training to kind of like get the gears going a little bit. Kipchoge is not that kind of guy. He, he He's extremely controlled when it comes to his, and very methodical when it comes to, to his approach. And it has seldom included any form of pageantry or test event or anything along those lines, particularly since he got into this whole breaking two hours business in the last few years. So for him, I just feel like very, I don't think that very much of this has shaken him. I don't think that this whole experience is a whole lot different than his normal uh, flow of training, Uh, particularly in the last few months when he's, I, I guess, been able to get to, get back together with some of his training partners and do some training and that sort of thing. So I think, I think a, it's disappointing if he doesn't break a world record, which is nuts to say, but I think it's disappointing if he doesn't run two Oh one low, I'm going to go two Oh one 11. I like that number. It just sounds good. Two Oh one, 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 but I, I want to see, I want to see the motherfucker going, Sub two hour marathon pace, at least in the first half. I want to see, he's not going to go crazy. He's not never, ever going to step outside his comfort zone. That's just not his style. Uh, He's a deliberate, even keel, evenly paced style runner. He's not a foolish risk taker, but I really hope, I really hope that we get that flash of that first 5k split. And it's like, well, holy shit. The kippers go in sub two. And then the stand the poor guy. Then it gets exciting. Um, because then it turns into this like countdown of like, can he hold on? Um, which is exciting mm. and dynamic. The poor guy though, now he's gotta do so much, so much to get people excited now. I just picture Kipchoge running like two oh one. 50 and then turning to the camera and being like, are you not entertained? <laughs> You're not going to get that from him. Uh, <laughs> he just crosses the line and then like levitates. Um, <laughs> so what's su- surprise and disappointment? What, what, do you, what is, what's your surprise? What's your disappointment? So um, my disappointment, I'll start with my disappointment because it's the general thing. It's the disappointment's going to be kind of insidious. We're going to be looking at the results and be like, you know what? This was just a little bit slower than I thought. And if, um, if I have to pick on one someone, one person for for the disappointment to kind of embody that, it's going to be Cost Guy, just because she comes in with such a fast PB. And again, it, and we 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 kind of we kind of talked this one to death, but I don't know how much her her hour on the track meant. But to me, if she was going hard, that does it. It's not. 
it's I don't think she's going to be in 214 fitness. Couple that with, you know, not having raced for a while uh, in the marathon. And, you know, she's going to be a few minutes slower. Most people are going to be a few minutes slower. Uh, but for a 214 runner to go 217, I think that's going to be the major disappointment. Uh, as for my surprise, I think it's going to come from that Ethiopian group of men, the chase pack, because they're just so primed. Someone is so primed to pop a big one. And yeah, maybe now we're, we're so conditioned to fast marathons, but in my mind, a 202 is still considered a big one, no matter what. And I think it's going to be someone other than Garemu who's actually gone 202, who's going to go 202 this time. And I see either Wasihun or Katata go down like a 202.45. And I think that's going to be a bit of a surprise. See, it's not that big of a jump for those guys, especially Wasihun. He's got a 203.16, but getting under that 203 and well under that 203 is another level. And I think one of them's going to do it. If I have to narrow it down, I'll say Wasihun goes, I'll say he goes 202.30 and turns a few heads. Uh, disappointment. Not as many athletes are going to make the Olympics in this race as we mm. are, will be led to believe a lot of people that are, that have personal bests coming into this race that are huddled, that are huddled right up around those at, at two twenty nine and a half to 11 and a half qualifying times on the women's and men's side. And, I think we're going to get some a, a little bit of heartbreak on both sides, which, you know, for better or for worse, makes for good drama as a, a viewer. But, you know, you obviously feel quite badly for these people that put so much of their lives into into training for this and they get one or two kicks at the can in order to make the big the big dance every four years. And that's that. And it's it's a different conversation for a different day, but I think that's shitty. And I think it's a really bad way for us to build a sport. But we can get into that in another podcast. Uh, surprise. My big surprise is I have a, a mini surprise. This is like a Canadian content surprise. I think there's a good chance Cam Levins kind of has a really good day and pushes his world record, his world record, his Canadian record uh, further down. That'd be cool. Um, and then maybe another Canadian might find himself qualifying for the Olympics as well, which will be... Let Let's name him. He never gets any love. Tristan Woodfine. What's his name? There Trist we go. Tristan Woodfine will, 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 again, you won't see him on camera at all or barely. You'll be like, who's that guy behind the Irish runner behind Mo Farah? And it's like, oh, I think it's the Canadian guy, Tristan Woodfine. And then he'll qualify for the Olympics and be the, the second or third guy in the Olympic team for Canada. And then to move off the Canadian content, I think the big surprise, the big, big surprise, Kipchoge is going to get challenged. For the first time ever, he's going to get challenged. I think uh, Garemu is going to try to close on Kipchoge and is going to come awfully close. And Kipchoge will have some distance on him and will hold him off, but I think Garemu is going to do the, like, the charge in the last kilometer. And like... In, if you picture the finish line of London, because it's going to be the same, it's that big open uh, um, boulevard 
straight stretch, several hundred meters. And Kipchoge is going to be doing the that smooth, uh, you know, really like focused, unflinching uh, run in. He's not sprinting, but he's not, but he's moving very gracefully. He's very even. He's closing in. He's going to break break his world record. But then you're going to see this like charging dude uh, in in the the edge of the shot. And it's going to be foreshadowing, you know, that that weird foregrounding effect that happens where he seems closer than he is. But I think you're going to get another guy that's under 202. That's my bold prediction. Wow. So you predicted Kipchoge. You predicted Kipchoge at 201.11, and you're going to predict Garemu in that realm. Yeah. Damn. I think, I think, I think the marathon takes yet another jump, at least on the men's side. I don't think it's going to happen on the women's side. Uh, wouldn't you hate to be Bikili watching that from the sidelines? That's right. And on that, we will, uh, we shall see. So we're going to, Alex, we're going to, I think we're going to do like a little bit of like a, a, like a, we're going to try a bit of a live pod during, during the London marathon, certainly during the men's event. I, I, I would like to, it'd be awesome if we could just do like a live pod from all the way starting from the women's event, but it's at two o'clock in the morning Eastern time. So I think it's kind of impossible for us to pull off uh, several hours of live podcasting starting in the middle of the night, but we're going to jump on We'll put it on. um, It'll stream live on our, on our Facebook. And I think we'll also be able to set it up on YouTube and we'll put a link in Twitter as well. And then we're going to, as if you've not gotten enough of us, we're then going to do a really quick, very fast recap pod right after, like basically straddling the end of the, the, of the men's race. We'll do a recap of both the women's and the men's races. There was our rest, and we'll do kind of a, a reaction and recap of, of what happened in London and, uh, I pledge that I will, will will push it out really fast afterwards. Like within, I don't know, within the hour of the race finishing, we'll we'll push out a recap. So if you've not had an opportunity to watch the race, uh, you'll get a hopefully a a pretty uh, explicit rundown and freak out by us. Michael, I'm excited for this. This is this is the most normal I've felt around running in like a year. <laughs> And yeah, this is going to be a great weekend. I'm I'm happy. I'm giddy. I'm giddy, and I I feel bad for old Kenny. I but, do too. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's going to be a fun weekend anyway. Hopefully, hopefully Kenny sticks around London and watches the race, and yeah, and finds I don't know some joy in that. I don't know. I, <laughs> I think I'd be pretty disappointed if I were him. Yeah. All right. Uh, Save your uh, save your vocal cords for Sunday. We're going to do some talking. Till next time. All right. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thexc.substack.com and follow us on the usual social uh, channels at thexcorg, certainly for Sunday, because we're going to be doing a little bit of coverage. And uh, the plan is, is that we will be essentially be doing like a live feed uh, on your behalf and you know we'll provide 
splits and uh, uh, an up, a constant update and that sort of thing. So obviously, if you can't stream it in your uh, wherever you're located, uh, we will be providing you some a unique insight into the event live. All right. Until then. <laughs>